Father, we're thankful that you've called us to be overcomers in these days that we live in. I know many people don't even believe that anymore, but the fact is, it's a joy to know that you're more powerful than the world, more powerful than the enemy, and more powerful than our genes and our past experiences. That Jesus came to give us life, to give us life more abundantly. He came to set us free. Father, we pray that you would set us free. Bless us as we go over several things now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Our main thought is never forget. The thoughts work out actions. Repeated actions form habits, and habits form character. Scientific studies reveal that the frontal lobe is the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. Spiritual life takes place right here in the blue zone. This is, uh, this is taken from the original Grey's Anatomy. I think it's from the 1800s. Uh, but they happen to make it blue. It's not literally blue, but blue represents obedience and keeping of the law. And so coincidentally, that's where they made the frontal lobe. Um, now, what to do with traps? Quick review. We talked about now walking, which means exercise. We talked about how exercise. Now, we normally do this for people who aren't always so healthy. For young people, you need more than walking if you're in good shape. Probably bike riding or, uh, you know, maybe even running or whatever. But make sure you're within your health range. Don't hurt yourself. You know, check with the doctor if you need to. And... Uh, we say that so we don't get in trouble, obviously. Uh, learning to breathe accurately like, like we were designed to breathe that helps calm us down. We're not talking about anything new age. We're talking about what you can read about in mind, character, and personality. That learning to breathe the way we were designed to breathe. Having erect posture, uh, breathing into the diaphragm. Uh, very, very important. It helps calm us down. She tells us it even can help with uh, sometimes not all depression, but sometimes depression is caused, she talks about, by simply, you know, maybe having bad posture and not breathing accurately. You don't have adequate oxygen to the brain and the bodily organs. So we want to learn to breathe accurately. Uh, drinking adequate amounts of water. We saw that if you drop your, uh, if you're dehydrated by 10%, you're clinically dehydrated. But if you're dehydrated by only 2%, two, 2% it affects your critical thinking abilities. So you wouldn't have to go to the doctor for that, but it's diminishing, diminishing how well you can pay attention here, how well you'll do at work and in your spiritual life. So we want to learn to drink. What did, what, what did Dr. B tell us? He tells us it's half our body weight in ounces. So if you weigh 200 pounds, it's 100 ounces. If you weigh 100 pounds, it's 50 ounces. If you weigh somewhere in between, figure it out, right? All right. And the most important of these four is Bible promises and prayer. Bible promises and prayer and learning to claim God's promises all the time. I mean, it's something that it's, it's a part of, you know, I, I bring around one of these, one of these little Bible packs, put the cards in there and the new one that I'm memorizing today goes in the front and then I can, you know, easily read it there. And, um, but it's, it's a real blessing. You know, these, these things are fantastic, but the point is you don't need this. You could just have cards or, you know, some people use scripture typer or whatever, um, but honestly, I think it's, you're even better going back to the old tried and true method of quoting it out loud rather than just typing it out. If you're just a writer and you only type out the Word of God, then typing it may be a wonderful way to do it. But I would challenge you that do it like the Hebrews used to do. I've done a study through history of how the Hebrews and, you know, and people have, have memorized throughout history. It has generally been done through reading and recitation reciting it out loud because your brain hears it not only in your thinking process but as you speak it out loud your ears are hearing it so you're getting multiple levels and a lot of times if you just do it in your head it's much harder to quote when you try to quote it you fumble all over it so saying it out loud helps a lot but claiming bible promises reading the bible daily spending time don't miss a day in the word of god
Now, what are some frontal lobe killers? We talked about this already. I don't know if we took it out or not, but we'll find out. Uh, drugs, lack of use, certain kinds of music, head injuries, and a lack of nutrition. Fadi is going to come up and she's going to talk to us about hypnotism. Many, some people, well, quite a few people use this to try to overcome addictions. What does, what do we learn about hypnotism? Okay, um, hypnotism. It says the hypnotized person loses beta waves from the brain. Uh, beta activity indicates sound thinking that involves dynamic frontal lobe activity. So beta waves, best way to think of it, it are the beta waves. Beta is beta, okay? That's the best way for me to remember it. So you want that because it, it tells you that the frontal lobe is operative. In the hypnotized state, however, an alpha brain pattern is operative, during which we do not critically analyze incoming information. So alpha wave activity is, are brain waves of lower frequency than beta waves. Okay, so when you're in alpha brain activity, you lose brain waves, they're, they're lower frequency, and you take in information, but it's not analyzed through the frontal lobe. It continues to tell us here, in this state, an individual will record information and suggestions without interpretation and without frontal lobe filtering. And we've talked so much about how important the frontal lobe is, right? Hypnosis attempts to cancel out frontal lobe functions and bring people into a trance in which they are highly <coughs> suggestible. This is most easily accomplished by training the eyes to focus in on one object, the best object being a what? Little flickering light, okay? The person will record information and duties uh, without interpretation and without frontal lobe activity. So with that said, what do you think is possibly the greatest frontal lobe killer? What's that? The little flickering light? Yeah, you got it. Television. And you would add any other kind of media, you know, today with our phones and um, with the video games and all of that and the computers. They're all um, putting us into that alpha brain activity. This next slide I'm going to show you is really interesting. It's from uh, 1979. So we've known this for. Oh, I don't know if computers are always, but there's addictive, there, yeah, I shouldn't say, there's addictive aspects of uh, computers. Yeah, yeah. Um, Time Magazine, Monday, May 28, 1979, says an increasing number of studies suggest that the main danger of television may not be the message, but the media itself, just looking at it. In Bedford, Massachusetts, psychophysiologists Thomas Mulholland and Peter Crown, a professor of television and psychology at Hampshire College, have attached electrodes to the heads of children and adults as they watch television. Mulholland thought that kids watching exciting shows would show high attention. To his surprise, the reverse proved true. While viewing TV, the subject's output of what waves? Alpha waves, which are the lower frequency that puts you in a hypnotic trance, uh, subjects' output of alpha waves increased, indicating they were in a passive state as if they were just sitting quietly in the dark. The implication, 
TV may be a training course in the art of what? Inattention. When was this written? 1979. What do a lot of our children today get diagnosed with? Yeah, ADD, um, ADHD or whatever you want to call it. Art of inattention. And a lot of children today are having that problem. They're not able to pay attention when it comes to everyday stuff, right? But put them in front of the TV and they could sit there for hours. Put them in front of a video game and they could sit there for hours. But put them in a classroom setting and it's not stimulating enough and they don't have the ability to pay attention. And they thought, oh, if we make things exciting, they'll pay attention more. But when they put the electrodes to the head, they were in this alpha brain activity, which is, you know, the, the hypnotic state. And it said, like, the brain waves, it was like they were just sitting in the dark. Wow. Isn't that strange? Let's continue. Another study published in the Journal of Pediatrics reported that every hour a day children watch TV, there is a 10% increased chance of them being diagnosed with ADHD. This means that if the child watches five hours a day, she has a 50% chance of being diagnosed with ADHD. Wow. Did we realize how dangerous it could be, especially for the growing mind, right? The, the, the mind has not completely developed yet for these little ones, and you're actually causing damage to it when you put them in front of such overly stimulating things. TV increases daydreaming, it decreases creative ingenuity, decreases interest in reading, decreases interest in learning, reduces discernment. Aren't all these things that happen in the frontal lobe, right? Where you're doing the discernment, knowing between right and wrong, uh, learning, reading, uh, these all happen in the frontal lobe. And it, of course, it would, it would cause um, these types of things to happen if the frontal lobe is affected. TV also trains in non-reaction, increases aggressiveness, reduces sensitivity to violence, accelerates sexual activity in teens, and is addictive. I can tell you for myself, I grew up watching a lot of television. English was not my first language. I learned English through watching television when we first came into the States. So you can just imagine how much TV my family watched. And um, I remember when we first started wanting to quit, because we started realizing like this is not good. Uh, we were trying, but it was very difficult. Finally, God was gracious to us, and the TV broke. <laughs> and so for a month, my dad kept telling us, go fix the TV, go fix the TV. And we're like, no, no, no. You want, it, you want to watch it, you go get it fixed. And so um, it took him a month, and finally he, he got it fixed. But that whole month, we didn't watch any. And finally, when he brought it back, turned it on, and we sat there, and we're like, wow. This stuff's horrible. I can't believe it. It was only one month. Do you think in one month TV changed? No. In that one month, I was not being desensitized to sin, right? You think about it. It, it trains in non-reaction and to aggression and, and, and makes, reduces your sensitivity to violence 
and sexual activity accelerates it in teens. If you're watching this stuff all the time, by beholding, we become changed. And sin doesn't look so sinful when you're always, for some reason, we think it's okay to watch it when it's two-dimensional. But if I were to see the things I see on TV in front of my eyes, it would be sinful, wouldn't it? You know, if I saw somebody killing somebody else, murder in front of my eyes, I would be horrified, but yet we're desensitized because we're watching this stuff all the time. I lived in Iceland, both of us, Chad and I, we lived in Iceland for a year. And while there, I was having a Bible study with his family. And before we'd come in, we'd always chit chat and they always had the TV on. But while we're talking, this commercial comes on and it was just weird. It was like this girl was riding a bike and she gets hit and they show her flying. She was hit by a car while she's in a bike and they show her flying through the air and then they show her like when she lands and I was horrified. I was like, I literally sat there like that. I was just horrified to see this and I looked over at the family and they're all just in there. You know that look when you're sitting watching TV? And I said, whoa, that's crazy. Like that was violent to me. That was, and some of you might be thinking, come on, Fadi, you're over it. That's what happens. We get desensitized to these things and we think they're okay and they're not. We watch people who are not married to one another doing things on the screen, right? Which if you look at the 10 commandments, do not commit adultery, but we get used to it on the screen. And you see how the, the, the enemy could use these things to, to, to cause us to not be loyal to the law of God, right? Little by little, just this. TV also requires no physical activity. The average child spends about 26 hours per week. Uh, there's little mental activity. Chad will show you a, a scan that shows you what happens to your brain while you're watching TV. It slows metabolism, there's rise in obesity, and there's poor lifestyle habits. Remember how much brain work it takes uh, to think about things, right? We were talking about that PET scan and how much activity goes on in the brain. Well, when you're watching television, you're not burning very many calories. You actually burn more calories when, what's, oh, okay. Okay, I won't say that. All right, we'll go on. He'll talk about it in a bit. All right, New York Times behavior, TV time linked to depression and future. The study published in the February issue of the Archives of General Psychiatry found a rising risk of depressive symptoms with increasing hours spent watching television. So the more TV you watch, the more depressed you get. It says uh, teens who spend long hours watching television at, are at a higher risk for depression as adults, a new study finds. Participants face significantly greater odds of being depressed seven years later, and the risk rose with each hour of daily television viewed, according to a report involving more than 4,000 teenagers. So if you don't want to be depressed, don't watch too much TV. Get out there and do what? Exercise, enjoy life, read the books, live your own life. Don't live it through somebody else, right? Go out there and get the adventure. Um, enjoy it for yourself. Too much. TV may mean earlier death. Watching too much television can make you feel a bit brain dead. According to a new study, it might also take years off your life. The more time you spend watching TV, the greater your risk of dying at an earlier age, especially from heart disease, researchers found. And that would include anything in terms of media that makes us sit 
and be sedentary instead of getting out. The study followed 8,800 adults with no history of heart disease for more than six years compared to those who watched less TV, less than two hours of TV per day, people who watched four hours or more were 80% more likely to die from heart disease and 46% more likely to die from any cause. All told, 284 people died during this study. So yes, TV uh, takes years off your life. So go out and live it instead of sitting in front of it. Um, if you're trying to, if you wanna give it up, this is a really good uh, thing that you could try and you're struggling. Let's say you turn on the TV, and next to the TV you have this verse that I'm about to show you. And whenever something comes on that contradicts this verse, turn off the TV for like an hour or so, go do something else, go get your uh, list of 10 things you want to accomplish in life, go look at that and go do those things, okay? And then come back again and let's see what else is on, and you pull that verse out again and you're like, oh, that doesn't go along with this verse. Turn it off, go to your list of 10 things, go out and walk, go do something, right? So here's the verse. I'm sure you've all heard it. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. If the, the, the thing you're watching on television does not go along with this, Turn it off. Go find something better to do. And we've given you plenty of things to, to think about on things you could do. Television and wasting time on the Internet takes precious time away from family, achievement, and spiritual pursuits. This is interesting. Con this, is, this goes beyond television. Constant stimulation of the senses shuts down the analytical processes and ultimately shuts down the ability to face life rationally. This leads to escape techniques that involve withdrawal, apathy, and rejection of disciplined thinking when faced with different duties and decisions. Wow. So being overly stimulated, whether it's having the music in your ears, you know, the iPods and the iPads and the iPhones and all these things, and um, just all the time we're stimulated, 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 then we don't have quiet time for the brain to relax. And like if you go out in nature, do things go fast in nature? No. Um, we're wanting to see something, some action, and, and there isn't. It's very quiet and slow, and it's peaceful. And it's that time where you can hear that still small voice, right? But the devil has us so busy being overly stimulated, we can't even face life rationally. And you get to all these escape techniques, and then we don't know how to socialize with one another, and on and on it goes. So it's so important to spend that time out in nature, in the quiet, uh, whether you're out there exercising, working in it, or walking and, and sitting in it, whatever it may be, spend that quiet time and look for different things you can do. Chad's going to come up and continue some of these thoughts on um, stimulation. All right. I'm going to challenge everybody to put their phone down for a moment, and we're going to learn about a little bit of science about phones. 
the uh, the average okay basically they did a study so i want to challenge you just for a minute you can put your you can stop texting just for a moment i know it's hard because we need to text all day and all night and you know sleep sometimes too but uh the average basically what they did is they've done tests and they discovered the results look what happens to your brain when you're constantly texting what happens when you're constantly receipt you know checking emails and having you know, conversation with your friends and when you should be doing something else. For instance, if you should be sitting here listening and you're texting to your friends all the time, notice what the results are. The average IQ, your intelligent quotient, drops 10 points if you're constantly texting people. So we are, if we are constantly texting or receiving emails while we should be doing something else, our IQ drops by 10 points and that's more than double the four-point drop from smoking marijuana. Constantly texting when you should be doing something else. This is by Dr. Daniel G. Amen. He's a neuroscientist who wrote this book. It's a book called The Magnificent Mind at Any Age. He tells us that if you're constantly texting when you should be doing something else, your IQ drops lower than if you smoked marijuana. For instance, for instance, let's say you're, uh, you, should be, you should be paying attention to something and you're texting, texting, texting. I, you're writing a paper and you're trying to concentrate on it and ding, ding, you check your phone. Okay, now I'll go back to work. Then you go a little further, ding, ding. Oh, John, is, uh, John just went to Kmart. Okay, back to work, ding, ding, ding. And while you're constantly doing that, your mind is not focusing on one subject and you, you slowly almost lose the ability to focus on one subject. And so your IQ is dropping. Young people today, when I ask, we do this for young people, you know, and one of the questions I ask is I say to the young people, what, what is the most common answer that young people will give to any question that they are asked, what is the most common answer? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Which shows they probably dropped their IQ at least 10 or more points, right? They can't think anymore because the frontal lobe is not engaged. There is this, the idea in the textbooks is critical thinking. They try to get you to believe something in the text and then critical thinking is say what I just told you, right? No, that's not critical thinking, okay? And many times young people can't critically think anymore because they never take time to put their phone away. They never take time to spend away from music in their ears. They never take time away from the television or the internet or Facebook. And so could it be that we could get to the point that we, we have no time to be still and know that He is God, as Psalms 46 verse 10 says? Could it be we've gotten to the point where the devil knows he can make us dumber than pot smokers? I used to smoke pot, and I can guarantee you it doesn't make you smarter. But yet it seems to say I was smarter than people who are texting all the time. That's heavy, because I was dumb when I was smoking that stuff, right? Like, I mean, be honest with you. I mean, I'm being honest with you. I was not smart. My mind was totally weak at that point. But at least according to the average studies. And I'm not just saying this to put people down. I'm saying this so hopefully we can be shaken out of the insanity of being constantly fixated on a screen when we should be listening to something else. We go to church and I see entire families from children to parents checking their email, checking, you know, the news while they're in church. The devil knows their IQ is plummeting. 
And what is it that keeps us in contact with the Heavenly Father? It's our frontal lobe. And what if the devil could give us a contraption that kept us in a state of stupidity? Now, I have a phone right here. It's not that we should not have phones ever, right? But the point is, are we going to let these things rule our lives or are we going to choose to use them in a wise way? And even this doctor, he's not, he's not, it's not a guy who doesn't use internet, come on. He goes on to say, the most damage done, according to the survey, by the almost complete lack of discipline in handling emails. Dr. Wilson and his colleagues found a compulsion to reply to each new message, leading to constant changes of direction in their mind, which inevitably tired and slowed down the brain. It goes on to say, constantly checking emails, instant messages, voicemails, and the internet is stressful. You think, no, it's not stressful for me, I love it. You do love it, but it's, it stresses the brain even though you don't realize it. Because your brain is always going like this. It's always thinking in a new direction. John's eating a hamburger. So-and-so went to Kmart. Uh, you know, I like cherry pie. I mean, whatever. Your mind is constantly going to a different subject. And that is actually stressful for the brain even though you may not feel it. Multitasking, yes. But it is also addictive as one is always waiting for the next good email. Instant message or voice message to hit, like waiting for the next blackjack in the car card game 21. The, anticipating of, the anticipation of something good keeps us checking for something routinely. He goes on to say, though, it also distracts us from staying focused on the person or task at hand. Checking these messaging systems is, is, an, is an important way to communicate. He's not ignorant that these things can be beneficial, but it is better to set aside specific times each day to work on them and leave them alone alone the rest of the time. What does that mean? Meaning, let's say, for instance, uh, you know, yeah, my wife and I have a business, and so people order from us. People contact us with questions on the internet. And so we can check every five minutes to see if somebody is emailing, or we could learn to say, you know what, okay, I'm going to work for 45 minutes on a, this project, and I will leave the last 15 minutes of the hour for checking the emails, working, contacting people, and so forth. And so if you have specified times for doing these things, then it's not so much of a problem. The problem is when these things are the every moment aspect of life. When every, I'm constantly wondering, and do you, I mean, be honest, most of what we see on Facebook is total rubbish. We have a Facebook account. We could be friends with you. That's no problem. But the point being, don't constantly be checking these things, checking these things, checking these things, checking these things, meaning have specified time for these so that your mind is focused on the given task at that specific time. Does that make sense? You know, I'm not, I mean, you can do whatever you want, but in the end, you know, it's up to you. But I'm just telling you the science behind it all. So I want to challenge you. See, many times people think they're good multitaskers, but in actuality, they found the people who think they're good multitaskers are the people who are most likely to get distracted by something. So, you know, just a thought. Uh, we are told in Christian education that it is a law of the mind that it gradually adapts itself to the subjects upon which it is trained to dwell. If occupied with commonplace matters only, it will become dwarfed and enfeebled. If never required to grapple with difficult problems, it will, after a time, almost lose the power of growth. As an educating power, the Bible is without a rival. In the Word of God, the mind finds subject for the deepest thought, the loftiest aspiration. Could it be that if never required to grapple, grapple with difficult problems, the brain will come to the point where when any question is asked, it will say, I don't know. 
You see, we were told these things 100 years ago. These are nothing new. Science is now catching up with what we've been told for over 100 years. Isn't that interesting? In other words, from that quote, we discovered that exercising the brain will expand it, but choosing to think on commonplace themes will dwarf it, right? But the good news, it can be strengthened. We talked about some frontal lobe killers, but the question is, can it be fixed? And the question is how? I'm going to give you seven, actually, no, before we go into the seven ways to strengthen the frontal lobe, here's what your brain looks like when you are writing. It's kind of hard to see. This is supposed to be orange, but it always turns out dark. The darker part is when you're writing, the brain is, is working here. So summon the frontal lobe up here. When you are silently reading, the frontal lobe is also engaged. Uh, but when you read out loud, it's hard to tell. If you can see it on my screen, you can see it much better. When you read out loud, the frontal lobe is like really working. Reading out loud is a good workout for your frontal lobe. It's a brain exercise to read out loud. And this is strange. Solving math problems quickly, your brain is on fire. Some reason, and, and these, these, simple, these are simple math problems like 4 plus 4, 6 minus 2, 3 times 3. For some reason, the brain is just working super hard when you do it quickly. And now I'm going to show you a picture of what happens when you watch television. Now keep in mind, when you watch television, you at least see, and that takes place in the occipital lobe, so you'd expect somebody's at least seeing something. And in your temporal lobe, a portion of the temporal lobe, you hear. So you would expect that you'd at least see and hear, but people typically think you'd be concentrating quite deeply, so your frontal lobe should be engaged. This is what your brain looks like when you watch television. You see and you hear, and what goes on in the frontal lobe? Nothing. Now, I want to be very clear. We make documentaries. And the reality is, is and someone might think, isn't that kind of hypocritical? You're saying it's not really good for your brain, and, and yet you make them. Well, here's the point. My wife and I almost never watch television. We don't almost ever watch anything, meaning we just really don't, number one, we don't have time for it. Once you get away from it, you wonder, you, you know, you have, some, you have more time, and even now our time is absolutely filled, so I don't know where we would really, you know, hardly fit it in, these kind of things. But the point being, uh, we, we, we have made them, actually, we didn't really make them for Christians so much. We made them for the public to share the message of what we believe. They're watching things on television all the time. And I, we're not saying you can never watch television. You can watch a sermon. You can watch something good on nature. You can, there are certain things that can be watched. But I would challenge you to do it as little as possible. Because it's the habitual things that affect the mind the most, right? So there are times you can watch something. You can see some nice thing about you know, planet Earth or whatever. There's beautiful things to see about nature or whatever. But it's, it's the habitual. Or even, even, for instance, making a religious life out of 3ABN. Praise the Lord for 3ABN, and then it's re reaching people. And there's nothing wrong with watching some wonderful sermons on amazing facts or, you know, 3ABN or whatever. But don't get all your religious information from television. Make sure to be spending time with God in His Word. Reading the Word for yourself. Reading these books for yourself. Dr. Penfield, um, Dr. Penfield was writing a book. He wrote a book called... Um, no, not Dr. Dr. Chalmers, I'm sorry. I read the book called Healing the Broken Brain, and it talks about Dr. Penfield. And he talked about probing the human brain. He actually had people conscious. He cut open their skulls. And what he would do is he would take a gentle electric probe, and he would poke the brain, and it would cause memories to come back while he was poking the brains of these individuals. And this is what we read about it. He told us how that even while he was probing with his gentle electric current, he could engage the patient in conversation and the patient could, by the act of his will, shut off the effects of the stimulation, not hear or see the playback and attend to what Dr. Penfield was saying. 
So what does that mean? Imagine this. He's, he's poking your brain, and it causes a memory to, to come back into your mind. And guess what? Have you ever had it where you have a memory come back to your mind and you just feel like you just can't help but think about it? You ever felt that way? I have. And what he said is he could poke their brain and he could make them remember something specific by poking a certain area. But they could choose to turn off the effect of that and notice what it says. It says, actually, no. He said that they could actually, by the act of his will, shut off the effects of his stimulation and not hear or see the playback and he could pay attention to what the doctor was saying. So imagine he pokes your brain and you have this bad memory. Or let's say you have this memory that keeps coming back in your head. You can choose because if it's not helping to go over and over and over the bad past, right? It's just not helping. So we can choose to turn our mind by the act of the will to turn it to something better. Does that make sense? They could do this even, even with him poking their brain. He could have this happen. And then Dr. Penfield said the will of man is free. It uses the pathways of the brain, but it is not controlled by them you're not controlled by your brain there is we can choose to turn our minds away god gives us choice he gives us free will by choosing to attend a penfield in conversation the patient was able to shut off all the effects of the electric probe the physical brain areas impacted by the electric probe cease to respond all of this was in response to a simple act of the patient's decision to attend to something else. In this instance, his conversation with Penfield. We can choose to turn our minds away from these things. And now I'm going to give you seven ways to strengthen your frontal lobe and will. Seven ways to strengthen your frontal lobe and will. And I, I'm sorry, I know I'm, I get a little uh, maybe overzealous about the telephones and not constantly doing these things. And you know, in a way, it just, it, it does sadden me to see that our young people are not even able to concentrate anymore. So I'm sorry, I get, I get, I get even overzealous talking about these things, but um, really, I do care for people. I want, I want the best. I want us, not, not that we can never use these things, it's just not to make them our life, that everything revolves around the phone. So I'm sorry if I get a little overzealous. But number one, how do we strengthen the frontal lobe and the will? Number one, practice deciding things. Well, what does that mean? Making up your mind positively immediately after you've weighed the, the facts and stick to it, willing to, only to change if sufficient facts outweigh the evidence. Well, what does that mean? We need to be willing to, number one, dis make decisions. Remember young people, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, can't make any decisions. So I would challenge you to learn to make decisions. As my wife said, sometimes it's better to make a wrong decision than to make no decision at all. Because you can learn from a wrong decision, but you can't learn if you don't make any decision, right? But we do need to be careful in what, what we say. That. Don't just go out and do anything, but try to make good decisions. Number two, complete each job before beginning another. That would mean don't try to be a what? Multitasker. And so obviously you can't finish every job before moving on to the next. For instance, if you're building a house, you can't, well, uh, I can't do anything else in life until I finish building the house. But what you could say is, I'm going to work for this specified amount of time, and then I will do this other thing, right? Just like I said, you could, you could do your work for 45 minutes, and then you, if you need to check your email for 15 minutes, you can do that. But having those specified times, finishing each job before going to another, will strengthen your will and your frontal lobe, sticking to the task. Number three, Roll out of bed as soon as you awaken after planned hours of sleep. Make the decision the night before and stick to it in the morning. That's a tough one, isn't it? That one is very tough. But 
um, just just making that decision. It doesn't mean when you wake up, get out of bed. If you go to bed at you know 10 at night and you wake up at 2 in the morning, you don't necessarily have to get up. You may have to go to the bathroom or do whatever, but you know, say, okay, I need to get up at 6 o'clock. I need to get up at 7 or whenever you need to and stick to it in the morning. That is it's one of the tougher ones. But doing that strengthens your will in your frontal lobe. Number four, read deeply and thoughtfully and stretch your mind to understand and retain what you've read. So, you know, making a, a diligent effort to read deeply and thoughtfully. It really strengthens the frontal lobe. And number five, the will is strengthened by exercise, and so take time to separate from indulgences. What does that mean? Meaning, normally this is a week-long seminar that we do, and, um, you know, we're skipping, um, there's two messages that you don't get to hear right now. Normally, normally um, when we do the seminar, there's two more messages, but here, this is the last one. What, normally, we give an introduction message, and then we have a, a message after this. But nevertheless, um, one of the things you want to do in our seminar that we normally do is we're taking time for this week to separate from indulgences. We're avoiding certain foods for the week, and we're having our body, in essence, we're going through a modified fast. And as a result, it is, it is, we're choosing to separate from indulgences, and by sticking to that plan, unless it's you know, hurting your body seriously, it actually is helping you strengthen your will, your decision-making power, or your, your frontal lobe, I should say. Number six, practice healthful eating and exercising habits. These two things are so very important. Exercise is so good for your brain. Eating good, nutritious food is so good for your brain. And by doing that, it will actually strengthen your frontal lobe. We've talked about how exercising actually physically grows the, the volume of your frontal lobe, temporal lobe also, but the frontal and temporal lobes specifically. And number seven, most important, ask God to strengthen your will. We need divine strength in the end to find victory over any temptation. Uh, we're going to close with just a couple things, and then my wife's going to share a quick point. Uh, by, can you become creatures of new habit? Brain researchers have discovered that when we consciously develop new habits, we create parallel synaptic paths and even entirely new brain cells that can jump our trains of thought onto new innovative tracks. Basically, I'm not going to go through all this and read it, but when we, for instance, imagine this. You probably heard this illustration, and it's very rudimentary, but it's, it, is, it is scientific also. That when you, for instance, when you have a bad habit, maybe it's dirty thoughts. For me, you know, when I used to be addicted to cigarettes, every time I learned that stress and cigarettes were connected, meaning not that they actually were, but the cigarette would make me feel a little bit better. And then I wouldn't feel any better afterward, but for, you know, 30 seconds I felt okay, right? But nevertheless, so, so my body, anytime I got stressed, I, I would go to the cigarette. And after a while, a path be, literally became physically a part of who I became. I became connected. Stress, cigarettes, so there was a literal pathway in my brain that was connected between stress and cigarettes. So let's say then I want to overcome that. And so let's say now I say, you know, I, God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Right? So, so the temptation comes and I say, instead of saying, well, okay, I do want a cigarette. I do want one right now. I don't now, but the Lord's given me the victory. But so initially, though, when I was trying to quit, I wanted the cigarette. And so initially I wanted, I wanted to go from stress to cigarette. But then I said, but God, you said my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
You said in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, that you could make a way to escape, Father, and I'm trusting that you will give me the victory. And so the first time I go, a, a new pathway is laid down. A new pathway that we read here is bypassing the old path. And then the next time it comes, and I, I feel like having a cigarette because I'm stressed, what happens? The next time I remember that God said He can bring every thought into captivity in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. And so now that pathway is getting a little stronger because we've gone down that new path twice, bypassing the old one. And then the third time it gets a little stronger, and then the fourth, and then the hundredth, and then the two hundredth. Do you see that actually what happens is that in my brain, after a while, stress makes me flee to God. Do you see how God can actually use temptation? He doesn't tempt us. But He can work all things together for good and actually draw us closer to Him through temptation. Does that make sense? And so now stress causes me to flee to God and think about Him rather than think about getting angry or feel bad or whatever it would do or destroy myself through cigarettes. So we, God can change, He can transform our brains through new habits, right? He can totally change us through this. And so God wants to create, the thing is, it's just kind of like this. Imagine you're, this was in Oregon. We were going on some old paths that were grown over by the blackberry bushes. They just cleaned them up here at Weimar just uh, this week, actually. And so, you know, things start coming over the pathway. And imagine you start a new habit. It's hard in the beginning. It's kind of like having to go through and hack away. We went through, and we, in this specific path in Oregon, we hacked it with machetes, literally. We went through cutting it, and I was all cut up. It's not easy to start a new path, right? It's not easy. But then after a while, once you get through, then it's, you know, much easier. It rains a lot there, so it's kind of green there. But then, one, then it's easy to walk through. And the fact is, when you keep tromping that path, the path stays very strong, right? And so, but what happens is, so let's say I, I, I quit the smoking, and now I'm going to the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. It becomes ingrained. But that old pathway is not, hasn't disappeared. But the newer one's gotten stronger. But let's say I stumble back into the old sin. The devil comes in and says, good job. Good job. You didn't have a cigarette for six months. You faked it really well for six old months. Good job. But you're a fake, and you haven't changed a bit. Have you ever felt that way when you stumbled back into a sin? The devil doesn't come in and, you know, encourage you. He tells you how worthless you are. But the fact is, he tells you you haven't changed a bit. You haven't changed one bit. But guess what? He's lying to you. Because that new pathway is physically a part of who you are. The good decisions by God's grace that you've been making are physically becoming a part of who you are. And He knows if He can get you to fall down and stay down, that He wins the battle. But He also knows that, no, it actually is getting easier to do the right thing. And He's trying to discourage you because if you get back on that right path, that new pathway has already been started to be laid down. And he wants to do everything he can to get away, you away from doing the right thing. Does this make sense? Don't listen to the lies of the enemy when you stumble and fall. There are new pathways being laid down in your brain. New connections are connecting from one neuron to the next. They are being made stronger and stronger. So these new habits with Jesus Christ, meaning our connection to Jesus Christ becomes physically a part of who we are. Not just some spiritual nebulous thing, but we literally, our brains are physically becoming connected to the spiritual ways of Jesus Christ. He is changing us. He is truly making us what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So I ask the question, do you want to 
be more intelligent, be more analytical, be, make better decisions, have a greater capacity to empathize with others, have better discernment, have greater ability to see into the future, have greater ability to overcome an addiction, have greater power to follow your conscience and be more open to understanding and doing the will of God? Well, the answer is the Bible, just as it reads, should be our guidebook. Nothing is so calculated to enlarge the mind and strengthen the intellect as the study of the Bible. I'm going to share with you something very quickly. For the Hebrews, the word meditation, there's a form of Eastern meditation that is antithetical to what the Scriptures teach. This new idea of con contemplative prayer where you just shut your mind down and don't think about anything, that form of meditation is fully antithetical to what the scriptures teach. It's not biblical at all. But there is a biblical form of meditation. The Bible talks about it in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. It says, And this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. So by the, God, the, the God of the Bible says we should meditate day and night. And then he tells us that you may be able to do all the things that are written in this book. And he says, then shall you make your way prosperous and then shall you have good success. Meaning if we meditate day and night on, on God's word, we will have good success spiritually. I'm not talking financially, but spiritually we'll have good success. And this, the, the word there in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 for meditate is in the Hebrew Bible, the word is called Hagah or Dagah. And the word has several different definitions. One of them is simply to meditate, which means to think. When, if you follow these principles in studying the Bible, the Bible will come more to life to you than if you just simply read through. If we follow the Hebrew form of meditation, number one, it means to meditate. That means think intently upon, not emptying your mind, but rather filling your mind with what the passage means. Who's the main character here? What are they experiencing? Right? Number two, I added this one. This one's not specifically a part of it, but it was a given to the Hebrews. Also, memorize also. That helps and strengthen your mind as you're studying the Word of God. But this here is another definition of the Hebrew word Hagah, is to imagine. Sometimes people get afraid of that word and think that's New Agey. It's biblical. You can read about it in uh, the book, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, the very first page. It says that when thinking about the thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, when Jesus is speaking on the Mount, it says, imagine being there. She says, enter into the thoughts and feelings of those who are present. Some people get afraid, like, oh, that sounds, no, it's not new agey. It's saying, listen, the Bible should be real to you, not just reading black and white words, right? It should become real to us. We can enter in, what would it have been like to sit at the feet of Jesus, hearing the word of God poured out in my very ears, listening to my Savior speak of his love to me? Would that not bring the, the Word of God a little bit more to your heart than just seeing black and white words, right? Absolutely, or a black and white page, I should say. So we should imagine what it was like. What would it have been like to be there, right? We can actually imagine it. Another definition of the Hebrew word Hagah is to study. So, to, so now say, let's say I'm reading about Paul, and I, I read that he goes into Iconium. And what do you know about Iconium? Well, maybe you've looked into it, but if you haven't, just like, you know, I, I don't know, what do I know about Iconium? Well, I look it up. I can go study. And then I find out what are some of the deities that they had there and what was the commerce like there. And now I imagine Paul walking into the city and I have a better picture of what was going on because I've actually studied it out. So now when I read it, it's kind of like I've been there a little bit more and the Word of God is beginning to come to life to me. I've imagined it. I've studied about it. I've meditated upon it. I've been thinking about it. And another definition of the word of Haggah is to talk about. 
Share what you've learned from the Word of God with somebody else, and that will help, that will bring the Bible to life. It will help you remember it, and it will change your life in the process. I want to challenge all of you to, if, if you're finding your, your time in the Word of God is kind of weak and shallow, and you, you don't really get much out of it, try to implement, Im, implement these things here. M-M-I-S-T, which just spells out mist, not, you know, spelled right, but mist. So meditate. Memorize, imagine, study, and talk about the Word of God. And as you do, it will bring things to life. This is the way the Hebrews did it. This is what meditation was like to the Hebrews. It was not shutting down the frontal lobe and hearing the voice of God when everything is, is silent and you're just totally not, you're thinking about your navel. That is not what it's talking about. It is, thinking, it, it is meditating upon, filling the mind with the Word of God, meditating on it, imagining it, studying about it, and talking about the Word of God. So I want to challenge you. Don't miss a day. If we're going to be ready for the return of Jesus, we need to be spending time daily in the Word of God, putting down the phone, putting down the computer, putting, down, putting away the television, and spending that time alone with Jesus Christ in His Word. We're going to close just now. Fadi is going to have a personal testimony on how the Bible study or studying the Bible changed her life. Um, when we were working in Chicago a bit, there's a man that was teaching us how to study the Bible with people in a different way that would help them work through issues they've had in life. And um, it was, you know, like how Chad was talking about the, the session before about the grievance story. And you have something that happened to you a long time ago and um, it was an offense. And then ever after that, you kind of overreact. If anything is similar to that, you overreact each time because you've never dealt with it. And so it just becomes a greater and greater part of your personality and it changes your character. And um, so we were learning about these things. And one day, something had happened. And then Chad asked me, he said, Fadia, is there something that happened to you in your childhood that makes you feel left out or uh, makes you feel like you're forgotten or whatever? And I was like, is he trying that stuff on me? You know, <laughs> that was my first reaction. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. He's like, no, no, no. Come on, Fadia. I know you well. You're my, this is before we were married. He says, we're really good friends. And, you know, you can see things in other people better than you see it yourself, you know. And he said, I've just noticed that. And think about it, pray about it, ask God and, and see if there's something there. I was like, okay, uh, I'll do that. <laughs> so I, I had gone to my room and I started to pray and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I don't know what it could be. I don't remember most of my life even, you know, like go and view your whole life and think about where did this come from. And so I just started to pray. I was like, Lord, y you know all things and, and I'm turning to you to show me what it was. Well, as I started scanning my life and thinking about it, all of a sudden I remembered, oh yeah, there was something. Um, how many of you have been Pathfinders before? Any? Yeah, quite a bit. And uh, we, I grew up in Chicago, you know, concrete jungle, and we had gone to uh, the Boundary Waters. Anyone been there? Minnesota? Really nice place. It's called Boundary Waters because it's between Canada and the U.S and just nice canoeing and all that kind of stuff. Well, on our way back, 
we stopped in a rest area in Wisconsin and we were in a really big school bus and it was filled with, with kids and adults and then we had one little car. We stopped in this rest area and our leader as a joke said, you kids get back here in time or we're leaving you. You know, and we're like, yeah, yeah, okay. And so I had eaten something uh, bad, like bad plums, <laughs> and my stomach was reacting to it. And so I waited in line. It was a long line. I went, came out, and then my stomach acted up again. So I told one of my leaders, I said, hey, I'm going back into the bathroom. Oh, yeah, okay. So I go into the bathroom, long line again, finally come out. When I come out, I don't notice anybody. I don't recognize these aren't people I know. I go outside, I don't see the school bus <laughs> in the parking lot. And I look up on the highway and there's the school bus taking off. So I just start running, I book it. And I jump over barbed wire and I try to make it. There's no way, they're gone. And then I came back and I thought, oh, I didn't see the little car. Maybe they're playing a joke on me because he had said, we're gonna leave you. And so I started walking around the whole parking lot looking for the little car, no little car. I thought, oh, I've been left. And, you know, initial reaction is like, oh, I was left, you know. But then I thought, ah, come on, it won't take them too long to recognize that I was gone, right? My friends, the person I was sitting next to on the bus, you know, <laughs> I was just like, it shouldn't take them too long. So time passed and time passed and time passed. And then I started to get offended. So it's like, how long does it take for a whole school bus to not recognize the fact that Fadi is not on the bus anymore? And so then it became an offense and I started to cry. And I, I felt really bad and um, didn't realize how bad I felt until I started reflecting on this story and realized, yeah, it had changed my character. After that, I was very sensitive to being forgotten. That, and those of you that are leaders, I'll just tell you that was the first time they had forgotten to do a head count. That the whole trip, that was the first time. So always remember to do a head count. <laughs> anyway. So um, I got reunited with them and everything. And as I sat there and I contemplated on this story, I realized, wow, it really did change me. I, I do get sensitive. Like if somebody forgets something about me or I'm left out of whatever. And I sat there and I thought, oh, wow, Lord, this has become a part of my character. I don't like it. And, and, um, and so then I started to pray, okay, Okay, you showed me, I see it, I see the problem, how do I fix it? How on earth do you fix something like this? So I started to think, and, I, and the Lord impressed me with the thought, whenever you study with people, you always tell them, for life's issues, look at the life of Jesus. Scan his life, and look where you can relate to something he went through. See what, what um, you, can, you can use as, as something that will be healing for you, right? Well, guess what? I started to scan his life from childhood and up. Do you think I got very far? No. Guess how old I was. I didn't tell you this. 12 years old. 12 years old. I got left behind, right? And it took a while to get back to me. How old do you think Jesus was when 12? And who was he left behind? Who left him behind? His parents, not other people. His own parents. And did they leave him for a few hours? No. How many days? Three days. As I tell you this story, I get chills every time. Chills. I was the same age as Jesus when this happened to him. And yet when you found him, 
What was he like? He was calm. He was in the temple. He was at home. And when they found him, he said, I'm about my father's business. When they finally found me, I was in tears and feeling sorry and pathetic for myself, and I, let, and I held on to it for years. Do you see Jesus later on constantly putting that in, on his parents, like, well, you left me. It wasn't my problem. No, you don't see that. You don't see that in his character. You see someone who continued to go forward even through offenses. Your own parents leaving you for three days, what on earth? They would have been in prison today, right? They would have been in prison today. And yet Jesus had no offense. He continued to go forward. He loved his parents. And then he gave himself for you and me. When that story hit me, it was like a ton of bricks just fell off my back. And what was it? The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, right? It pierced my heart. When I saw my Savior, even as a child, a little child, just two years older than you, right? A little child was my Savior as well. He was able to be an example in his childhood for me. When I saw that, it just broke my heart. I started to cry. And the Lord is faithful. He turns our weaknesses into our strengths. Now, instead of feeling sorry for myself about being left out, I try to be mindful of who is being left out, right? Who can I help? Who does look like needs, needs some help? The Lord can turn our weaknesses into his strength. Amen. And that only happens because we spend time in his word contemplating his life in particular because his life is our example and I want to encourage you as Chad has just shared the whole Haggah you know contemplating thinking about the word of God memorizing it taking it into our hearts uh, talking to others you know uh, a lot of times after we've had our devotions we'll come in oh I just got this gem it was really powerful can I share it with you as you share it you retain it Right? Why do you think teachers, it's so easy for them to just say the same thing over and over and over to you and you think, wow, you're so wise. It's just because you repeat it. Right? And the more we repeat something, the more it becomes a part of who we are. So share what you're learning. Share these precious things that God has blessed you with. And you never know how what you share with them that day may have not been so much for you, but maybe more for them. Amen? So I want to encourage you all, spend time in the Word of God no matter how old you are, whether you be young or old. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you so much that Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life. And more than just words, Lord, it is a, a reality. It really is a reality. I just can't wait until we can meet him face to face and thank him for being so strong and so honorable and so loving and and like even through all the strife that he went through lord i thank you that um he stayed constant we know that we live in a world that is not constant but we thank you that our savior is and was and continues to be constant lord and we just praise your name and we ask father that you would help us to have that consistency in our own lives that we would cling to our Savior in times of need, that that would become a part of our brains, that in stressful, anxious situations, we would turn to you and not to our thoughts, not to our um, 
the, the things that we've coped with in the past, Lord, but to turn to you. Help us through this process, we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.